Jonah chapter 3, starting verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with his compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We love it and we love you. And I'm thankful for an opportunity to hear your word. This morning, let my heart be open to receive whatever it is that you are speaking to me today. I just want to be a doer of it. Let my ears be open to hear uh, exactly how you're wanting this message and, and this passage to hit my heart. Um, I pray that as you do through your Holy Spirit, that you would make this come alive in me, that you would continue to shape me and mold me and make me more of who you created me to be. We love you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Have you ever used one of these before? What is this called? That's a sketch, amen. I grew up in southern Arkansas. We just call this thing a computer, right? Like, that's as good as we could do down there. For all you kids out there that don't know, this is like an iPad's great, great, great grandpa, okay? You don't need Wi-Fi. You don't need battery. You can have unlimited screen time on this thing. It never runs out. Amen, okay? Now, when I was a kid, I had an Etch-A-Sketch just like everybody else. And I would see on TV people get together. They would make the Mona Lisa on an Etch-A-Sketch. Y'all ever seen that? Someone that can draw on an Etch-A-Sketch like an artist? I would see people draw the Eiffel Tower on the Etch-A-Sketch. And so I would grab my Etch-A-Sketch just like everybody else, and I would sit it down, and I would try my very best, and I would turn the knob just a little bit, and I'd turn it this way. And once you get advanced, you figure out you turn both knobs at the same time. Like in Magnolia, that was a big deal. You've heard, and you can make a diagonal line. And so I started doing all this stuff. Eventually, though, what happens? You're going to mess up, and it's going to look like junk. And you say, well, forget it. And then you just start scribbling everywhere and making lines as crazy as you can. But at some point, you say, I got to start over again. And what do you do if you need to start over? You shake and bake, baby. Let's go. You shake this thing and shake this thing and all the lines that you had drawn and all the places that you had messed up and everything you had done is gone and you're left with a clean slate. Now, this is what I know. At some point in your life, you're going to need a do-over. 
All of us have needed a fresh start, a clean slate. And that is why Jonah chapter 3 is such good news to someone like you and someone like me. Because it shows us the heart of God. And that heart is the heart of a father that pursues his children and keeps going after them and keeps going after them. And he stands waiting to offer them a second chance. When we wander, when we get lost, even when we run away like Jonah, God is faithful to track you down. He tracks Jonah down. He tracks down the evil people of Nineveh. And he offers them what? Fresh start. A clean slate. In chapter 1, God speaks to Jonah. In chapter 2, Jonah speaks to God. In chapter 3, as we see, God speaks through Jonah. And as we go through this chapter today, there's some things that I really just kind of going through this, some stuff that we learned. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write a few of these things down. Number one, this is what we see in Jonah chapter three. We serve a God of second chances. Go ahead and put up uh, Jonah chapter three, verse one. We're going to read this all together, class. You ready? One, two, three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The church that I grew up in is a real charismatic church. And you read a verse like that, that God gave somebody a second chance, somebody would be shouting out in there. Somebody would probably get up and run around. This is why. Because this is such good news that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That he came back around. Aren't you glad that God is willing to have the same conversation with you over and over again if you don't get it right the first time? Like that's how the Lord is. He's like, hey, I need you. this is what you need to do. And then you don't do it. He's like, hey, let me remind you. This is what I need you to do. Ah, I got busy. I didn't do it. I messed up. I messed up. Hey. Let's circle back. This is what I need you to do. If you've ever been around kids, then you know how this feels. It feels like you're going crazy. I will have the heart to heart. I will sit down. I will say, hey, this is what you need to know. I'm your father, and I want to help you and protect you in your life, and you're making a bad decision right now. Please see the light. Don't make this bad decision. And they'll say, okay, Dad. And then about 30 seconds later, they will go make a bad decision, <laughs> no matter what. And, and after a while, like, I'm not like God. And so I get fed up. And I'm like, how many times do I have to tell you? And then I start to sound like my own mom, my own dad, my grandparents. And I pull out words like umpteenth. I've told you this for the umpteenth time. I don't even know if umpteenth's a word. But let me tell you this to all the youngest out there. If you hear your mom or you hear your dad or you hear your grandparents bring out the word umpteenth, then you need to take shelter because they at the end of their rope. They done told you too many times. There's one thing that I know about every person in this room that we have in common, and it is this. Every one of us have needed a second chance. All of us. I have needed do-overs in my life. I have needed fresh starts. I have needed, and I thank God for his patience with me. 
I've needed his mercy and his forgiveness. And I'll tell you what God doesn't do. God doesn't do what I would do. After a little bit, if I mess up and you mess up and you mess up, I'm just like, get out the way. I'll go find somebody else. Like, move on. I can't, I can't waste any more time doing this. Like, move on over here, boy. I'll, I'll deal with someone else. God doesn't do that. The Bible says that he doesn't just sweep us away. Listen to this in 2 Samuel. God does not just sweep life away. Listen to what he does instead. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. The word is full of people who have needed second chances. In fact, most of the heroes of the faith, the people that you love to read about and the stories that you know, these are all people who have messed up. And they needed a fresh start. Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. Paul rounded up Christians and had them killed. He was like a terrorist. Noah, y'all know Noah and the story of Noah and the ark. And it was beautiful. And you know the zebras and the elephants. And they got on the boat. It's like, oh, beautiful Noah. What did Noah do when he got off the ark? The Bible says he went and he got drunk and he woke up in the back of an El Camino. Like he needed a fresh start, right? This is Noah. Peter quit the minute. Like over and over again, people need a second chance. And God is always there waiting to give it to you. Some of you live in the misery of your worst memory. It's like the the toughest thing that's happened to me in my life is something that I replay over and over and over again. But listen to me, your past failures don't own your future. You can have forgiveness and total forgiveness from God. He can reinstate you. He can restore you. The Bible says and talks about God as our father, that he is a good father. He sees you as sons and daughters. And some of you think, like, I'm a second-class citizen of heaven. No, you're a first-class citizen of heaven. God, right now, if you've messed up, he's waiting to give you forgiveness and a clean slate. He's the God of a second chance. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. A second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Let me tell you the second thing that has to happen. Number two, you have to seize your second chance. We think when someone falls and they mess up, that that's it. They're toast. But that's not at all what the Bible says. The Bible says that a righteous man can fall seven times, but what? Rise again. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets what? He gets what, class? Another chance. And this is what God was giving to Jonah, and this is what God was giving to the people of Nineveh, and you see how they respond to God saying, hey, this is my word to you. What are you going to do with it? Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites, listen, believed God. 
A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds, or flocks taste anything. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. What happened? They hear the word of the Lord. They believe the word of the Lord. And then they respond to the word of the Lord. Like they take advantage of this moment that God has given them to get things right. They seize the second chance. And there's something here in this passage that you cannot miss. And it is this. This models true repentance. A lot of people, when they, when they figure out, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or I messed up, this is what happens. You look around, you say, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, God. And you just keep on in the same thing. I'm sorry is not actually repentance. I'm sorry is an apology. And there's a difference. And lean in here because I don't want you to miss this. What keeps pastors up at night? Some pastors, I'll tell you, it's this. That we have people in church that believe that they've said, I'm sorry to God. And they feel like they're on good terms when they actually haven't repented. Because repenting and apologizing are not the same thing. When you repent, listen to me, every time there's true repentance, there will be fruit of that repentance in your life. Like it will show up in your life. It's more than just lip service. True repentance is life change. So if I am in the middle of a mess and God convicts me through his Holy Spirit or through his word or through teaching or through a friend. And he shines light and he says, hey, this is not the best thing for you. You need to turn from this. I'm going to feel like, oh, I shouldn't have been doing this. And a lot of times this is what people will do. I'm sorry. But they won't ever turn their life away from the sin. It's like I feel bad, so I'm going to tell you I'm sorry. But true repentance, yes. Do I do, I do things that offend the heart of God? Yes, and it makes me feel like I should apologize. Yes, and so God is saying, God, I'm sorry that I did this. But then repentance says, and now I'm turning away from it. And I'm not going back there. My life now is in a different direction. I'm changing some things because I'm repenting. It goes beyond lip service. It's a life change. And this is what you see in this passage. You see people that they hear the word of the Lord. They hear God calling them out and saying, hey, this city is going to be destroyed. And what do they do? They don't just say, I'm sorry. They say, I'm sorry. And now all hands on deck, we're changing our ways. Like we're turning away from the way that we were. So I want to walk through what you see happen in this passage. And I'll give you three things. The first is this. In true repentance, you have to accept the truth. 
Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5. Listen, this is so important. The Ninevites believed God. Whether you like it or not, when you hear God's word, it's not your job to choose which parts you want to believe and which parts make you feel good. It's your job to accept the truth. The Bible says they heard the word and they believed it. I have some AirPods, the little headphones you stick in your ears, you know, and my AirPods have this thing called noise canceling. And so I can be sitting in a restaurant, I could be sitting in a coffee shop on my day off reading a book. I put these little AirPods in my ears and I listen to some music. I'm listening to some smooth jazz. I'm enjoying my time reading a book. And then someone comes and sits next to me and they get on their cell phone. They start telling stories about their cat. Their cat. This is what I can do. I can, with my noise canceling AirPods, go doot doot. And it'll go boom. And it'll turn off all the noise around me. Like, I don't have to listen to cat stories anymore. I don't have to listen to anything. I just listen to what I want to listen to. It's called noise canceling. This is what people do with the word of God. They say, oh, I like this. Oh, I don't like this. Doot, doot. I'm going to block this out. Like, I ain't going to listen to that. I'll tell you what happens is people get in- addicted to encouragement Like, I just want to be encouraged all the time. I want to be lifted up all the time. And does God, through his Holy Spirit, encourage his people? Absolutely he does. Does he fill our hearts with hope? Absolutely he does. But sometimes God will, through his word or through the Holy Spirit, bring conviction to our hearts. And it's uncomfortable because it's him showing us, hey, you're living a life. Or you're going in a direction that's not the best thing for you. It's not what I have for you. You need to turn from that. And my flesh is like, but I like it. But I want it. And so what do we do? I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to cancel that part. And I'm just going to focus on the inspiration. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah. This This is what we have to our posture when we come to God's word. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. Here's the lesson. When you're reading God's word, when you're hearing God's word, don't be a picky eater. Don't pick around on your plate and eat the mashed potatoes and the macaroni and cheese, but the peas, I'm going to shove them off to the side. Like when I get to this part of God's word, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. It challenges my heart. Like I'm going to shove that off to the side. No, whatever he's saying, whatever he's speaking, remember this passage, I devoured your word. Every scripture, every nudge and leading from the Holy Spirit, every ounce of conviction from God, you have to accept the truth. The second thing that we see them do is they seek God. This is a big deal. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. They begin to fast. The word said they heard God's word. They believed it. They called a fast. It was such a big fast that they even had the animals fast. 
I've done a lot of fasts at New Life in January. Every year, we take a week at the beginning of the month, sometimes 21 days, and we do these long fasts to begin the year. I've done them over and over again. I have fasted with lots and lots of people. Never once have I been fasting with someone, and they say, yeah, you know, we got our golden doodle fasting, too. Like, it's never been that serious ever. But here in Nineveh, what happened? He said, everybody... Every animal, nobody eats. This is an emergency. We have to seek the Lord. We have to turn from what we're doing, abandon our wickedness, and seek after God with 100% everything that we have. When is the last time that you knew you needed to seek God like that? A lot of times it happens in our lives when things break. Like if something breaks, then we're like, okay, let me fast. Let me go to God. Let me pray now. Now, I would encourage you to do this. You need to have regular times in your life and the seasons of your life where it's like, God, I've got to hear from you. Even if there's nothing wrong, Lord, I need to hear from you. Because sometimes God will lead you in a direction. He will be moving you one way. And if you're not seeking him, you'll miss that. You'll walk right past it, never even thinking about it. Because I hadn't even sought after the Lord. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction to you, when you read something in the word that challenges you, seek after him. Like, God, what is it that you're saying? I need the truth of your word. I need to Apply it to my life. The last thing that I see here, and I'll read this out of this passage. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, look what he did. Underline this. He rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the king. He hears the word of God. The Bible says that he believes it. He gets up. He's on his throne. He gets up and he steps off the throne. And I'll tell you this. This might be the hardest thing. I'm going to challenge you to do this. Get off the throne in your life. I think this is the most difficult thing that people have to do. One of the biggest shifts that people make. It's hard to do this because we like to say no. This is, my, this is me talking. Like, Brandon Cotton had these conversations. I like to do it this way. I'm going to do this. Like, you can have this part of my life, but this part of my life, I'm on the throne. This is my life. Nobody's going to tell me how to live it. And I'm going to do things the way that I want to do it. The hardest thing to do is to give up this throne to give up control. I know that's true. If you like college football, like it just started back yesterday, when I go into the living room, I don't care, Bluey, what's on TV, it don't matter to me, like the remote is mine, okay? And I'm on the throne of this TV for the next 
24 hours. Like, let me watch my games, you know. I don't want anybody to do it. If I'm in a road trip, right, and somebody else in the car, they say, hey, can I, put, can I plug in and I play the songs that we listen to? Like, I don't want to give up that aux cable. Like, no, this is my car, my road trip. I'm going to play the playlist that I want to play. And when they finally get it, that's when I get my AirPods out. Like, I listen to my own thing, you know. Getting up and giving away control is the hardest thing to do. And this is something that I think a lot of us struggle with, that maybe we give up control of parts of our life, but not every part of our life. And if there's any part of your life that you are holding on to the master key and no one else has control and you're sitting on the throne, that part of your life is in danger. That part of your life is in jeopardy. Because every time we sit on the throne of any part of our life, there's a good chance that at some point we're going to run ourselves right into the ditch. When God brings conviction to you, when you see the truth of God's word in every part of your life, say, okay, God, I'm getting up. It's yours. Like you sit there. I will do whatever it is that you say to do. I'm giving you the throne. And we talk about the three areas of our life where we sit on the throne all the time, time, talent, and treasure. And that covers a lot of the, most of the throne issues in our life. If God doesn't have the throne in all of those areas, you need to seek him and get off of it yourself and give it to him. You know what happened to the people of Nineveh? The Bible says that they repented. And I love this. So the king, he issues this proclamation. He sends out, Nineveh is not a small city. This is 200,000 people, huge. And this is what he says, you know, don't let anybody eat or drink animals, herds, flocks, taste anything. But let them be covered with sackcloth. Listen to this. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Verse 9. Maybe one of my favorite verses in this whole chapter. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And where is God? In verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. There's God again waiting with a second chance in hand to give these people with his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, a fresh start. They repented. The Bible says that God relented. And this is such hope for you and me, the worst person that you know, the best person that you know. All of us, serve a, we, we have a God of second chances, and he stands ready and waiting to give. What does this mean for you? I think that something that's really interesting to me in this whole story is that Jonah's um, message that he preaches, eight words. 
And really, his heart wasn't even in it. The Bible says, and we'll hear about this in the next chapter, is that when God relented, like he preaches this sermon, people respond to the sermon, and you would think this is every pastor's dream, like the biggest altar call in the history of the world, 200,000 people, like bigger than Billy Graham or any of the apostles. You would think like this is a dream of anybody that preaches, and all these people repent, and they turn from their evil ways, and they turn to God, and you think, this is amazing. What does Jonah do? Next chapter, he's going to be real mad at God because of it. Like, he preaches this thing. His heart's not even in it. And God does something amazing just because Jonah was obedient. God took an eight-word sermon delivered to the worst people on earth by a man whose heart wasn't in it, and he turned it into the greatest altar call of all time. God can do a lot of things through your obedience, and you never know what will happen when you say yes to doing what God says to do. My favorite line, I said, verse 9, who knows? This is the king's heart here. Who knows? God may relent. Who knows? Who knows what will happen when you obey God? And that takes us to this last one, and we're done today. Number three, live on mission. We have been meeting with leaders over the last month of this church. We've been talking about what we believe is coming next for our church and how we're going to move forward in the fall. The one thing that we're asking all of the leaders in this church to do is this, to get up every day and to live on mission. And as a church, we have to be a church that is back on mission that we understand that God has put us here for a reason and we're going to live it out every single day. Now, there are things about God that we can love. We love the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings. Does God comfort us in our troubles? Absolutely. We love the favor of God in our lives. I love the joy of my salvation, like knowing that he saved me and that he's changing me and he's working in me. But it's possible when you see Jonah, he loved all these things about God, but he did not love the mission that God gave him. Like he loved God's faithfulness. He loved God's love. He loved God's mercy. He loved, but then when God gave him a mission, he's like, I don't love that. I don't want that. That can't be us, church. We have to be a church that lives every day on mission to do what God has called us to do. I believe that God has called us to love our city, to love our neighbors, to walk in love with people we work with, with our friends, with our family. And he's called us to every time he gives us an opportunity to bring hope or life or encouragement or prayer or an invitation into someone's life, whether it works or it doesn't work, who knows? Every time that God gives us an, an opening in someone's life, we're going to say yes to it because we live on mission. And there's no greater feeling in the world than 
doing what God has called you to do and seeing how it changes someone else's life. Like I've done a lot of great things. I've had a lot of great meals in my life. I've eaten some really good food. I've lived in some really cool cities and I've been able to travel around and, and visit some amazing places. I've been whitewater rafting. I've climbed mountains, like a beautiful stuff, like awesome things. None of it compares to seeing God move in someone's heart. None of it compares to seeing him change someone's life. So who knows, just like that king says, who knows what will happen when you live on mission every day? Who knows what will happen when someone is hurting and you stop and you, it's very uncomfortable sometimes, but it's like, I'm going to offer to pray with them, even if it like intimidates me and I know how that feels, like I'm an introverted person. And so I, I get it. Who knows what will happen in their life if I just say yes to that moment? Who knows what will happen if I see someone, they don't have a church home. I know that they need the hope in the gospel of Jesus. If I invite them to come to church with me and then have lunch afterwards, they may say no. They may say yes. Who knows? It could change their eternity. Who knows? This we do know, that God did this work in Nineveh through a flawed prophet named Jonah. God had Jonah in Nineveh, and the whole city got saved. We have something much better than Jonah. We have Jesus. And all through the Old Testament, there are these people that pop up that give us a little picture of what's to come in Jesus but Jesus is always better than all of them. And this is true for Jonah. We have Jesus who is better than Jonah in every single way. Jonah traveled from Israel to Nineveh. Jesus came from heaven to earth. Jesus is better. Jonah went unwillingly into this place. But Jesus came here willingly. He's better. Jonah came out of a fish. Jesus came out of a grave. He's better. Jonah came with the word of God. Jesus came as the word of God. Jonah saw a king get off a throne and repent. Jesus was the king of kings who got off his throne so all of us could be able to repent. Jonah saw revival for one nation. Jesus sees revival for every generation, every tribe, nation, and tongue. We have Jesus. And so when someone comes into this place and they encounter Jesus, who knows? What can happen in their heart and their life? Next week, we have been asking our leaders and people in our church, if you know someone that needs, that doesn't have a, hurt, uh, a church home, you know someone that needs to hear the gospel, you know someone whose life needs hope, you know someone that needs Jesus, whoever it is that God has put on your heart, we're asking that you invite them to come with you next week. They, some of them will say no. And that's okay. You're just being obedient. You're saying, I'm going to live on mission. If they say no, I do what I do. Some of them will say yes. When they come here, 
We're going to preach the gospel. If you bring someone next week, this is an agreement that I have with you, okay? At the end of the service, I'm going to say, bow your heads and close your eyes. And y'all know how it goes. Everybody bows your head and close your eyes. If you brought someone with you, okay, this is a one-time pass I'm going to give you. You have permission to peek during the altar call. <laughs> like you can look up and look around and look down the row and see if these people respond to what God's doing in their heart. They may not. And we'll keep praying for them and we'll keep preaching the gospel and the word and believe that God has, we've like planted a seed in their heart and God's going to see it grow. They may not, but they may respond and in a moment go from death to life. Who knows? I'm praying for you this week as you go and invite those people. And next Sunday, let's see what the Lord does. Let me pray for you.